0: Change the world, change the world, change the world can, We can change the world, we can change the world, change the world
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show
0: hate To a place of love, it's not too late Gotta save the children, we can't wait Let's change the world
2: I am breathing Hey everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show It's a joy to be with you this morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and I will be up on StreamYard in a hot second, everybody. We've got a lot to talk about today. War or peace? I guess that's the question, because now we're hearing, and we've talked about this a lot on this show, and we've talked about it a lot on this show because this regional conflict is threatening to become... Well, it is international in scope and many people feel this could be World War Three if it's not handled a particular way, and that is true. So um and and we're at the center of it. Your tax dollars are at the center of it. So let's talk about war and peace because with this truth that we have all been so excited about, it's been it's been, you know, wonderful to see people coming home and all of that. Um Now, you know, you hear Israel say, okay, once this is, once the truce is over, we are about to really, we're going to really expend more force than we did before. Wow. And then people who try to return home to northern Gaza, at least two of those persons have been killed. Uh, The IDF are shooting at them. And now we hear about the treatment of many of the hostages, Pastor Stephen Thurston, and the, the hostages... They've not had a lot of food. Uh, They've not been able to bathe. Well, now they're being treated like Gazans. Because Gazans can't bathe. Gazans are rationed food before October 7th. They were allotted a certain number of calories per person. This has got to stop everybody. So call me at 773-763-9278. Let me know what you think. How can we get peace? Do we want more war? Oh, do we want peace now? Peace now. Not just a ceasefire, but a negotiated peace. Israeli security, justice for the Palestinians. Are we going to get that? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-9278. And in the midst of everything else, we're going to have John Nichols. John Nichols is going to talk to us about this uh, ...about the UAW deal. Well, remember we were talking about that a few weeks ago? Well, yeah, we were talking about it because it's a real big deal. They won their... uh, They won a lot of concessions from the big three. A lot of concessions. What did they win? And is this a revival of the union movement? Which impacts all of us because we're all workers. So, at least most of us are. So, call me at 773-763-9278. Hey, Jewel. Hey, Kenneth. Hey, is it Linear Bob that I see up here? Yes, and Raphael, and sending you all so much love today. Everybody like and share. Jewel up in New York. Like and share, like and share, like and share, everybody. I am Santita Jackson coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station. It's going to be really ground central for the DNC. Coming up next summer, which it'll be upon us before we know it. And then, of course, AM 950 Radio. My Minnesota family, y'all need to come down here because you all are getting down up in Minnesota with Ilhan Omar. I love it, love it, love it, love it. Call me at 773 Do you want more war or do you want peace? And Americans have a great say in this because it is our tax dollars. It is our tax dollars that are pushing so much of this. And so I want you to tell me what your thoughts are. What about the Bears last night? They actually pulled it out over the Vikings, 12 to 10. Congratulations to them. Even though on CNN they call the game a dud. Look, I'll take the win. I'll take it. I'll take it. Let's get to some of these headlines, everybody. Israel and Hamas agreed to extend a pause in fighting by two days. The pause, which went into effect on Friday, would have expired today without yesterday's agreement, and it could be extended even further. More women and children are set to be released from captivity in the Gaza Strip in exchange for Palestinian women and children children held in Israeli prisons. Most of them have been held without charge. 150 Palestinians, 51 Israelis, and 18 foreign nationals have been released thus far. A man pleaded guilty to shooting students of Palestinian descent in Vermont. A 48-year-old man, it's very interesting, they do not really talk about, they they don't give you his name. Yeah, but he did it, and he was charged with three counts of attempted second-degree murder. Why is it just second-degree? Uh, the victims uh, remain in intensive care after Saturday's shooting, and they are expected to recover. Send love and prayers to the president, uh, President Rosal- President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind. Of course, they will have a tribute service today, President Biden, and all of our living First Ladies will attend, former First Ladies will attend. It will be held at a church at Emory University in Atlanta, and um, uh, Biden and Vice President Harris, the president and the vice president, will be there Um, And God bless her and this magnificent life that this woman led. Um, And New Zealand is abandoning a a plan to ban smoking. Mm. Did you know that scientists discovered a new type of stem cell in the spine? And Stephen Colbert, send your love to him, everybody. His appendix burst, so he had to cancel shows. Sending him much love today, as I shared with you. We had a win last night, Chicago. Ho, ho, ho. 12 to 10 over the Vikings. Sorry, Minneapolis, but we'll take them where we can. You all are 6 and 6. We're 4 and 8. NBA. The Bulls will be playing Boston tonight at 6.30 p.m. Central time, of course, 7.30 on the East Coast. Thursday, I mean, and the Thunder will be playing the Timberwolves at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. In the NHL? Chicago will be playing tonight along with the Wild, And those are some of the headlines. Pastor Stephen Thurston, I'm going to put you on mute so that I can sneeze and download some stories.
3: (laughs) No problem. Hey, everybody. Hope that your day is kicking off well. Today, I want to encourage us to kick the elephant out the room. Now, when you're dealing with a hard situation, the difference between feeling um, how you feel on the inside and look on the outside... It can really be huge. Inside, you may be emotionally crumbling or feeling immense sadness, fear, or even some grief, but outside, you're just as happy as go lucky as could be. Uh, You're probably familiar with the expression ignoring the elephant in the room. As it describes the way people avoid talking about huge, impossible to overlook, or difficult situations. The reality is that sometimes, People who care about us avoid addressing painful topics because they don't know what to say or they don't want to upset us. But sometimes we're the ones staying quiet because we're worried about burdening people with our pain or making them feel uncomfortable. While ignoring the elephant might cut down the chances of an awkward moment, silence in the face of suffering isn't neutral. It carries a physical and emotional cost leaving us worn down and isolated but the good news is that you don't have to carry your burdens alone or in silence decades of research show that social support helps people manage stress and recover from trauma so as we move to the close of this year maybe there's some stuff that you need to deal with clear up or even clear out maybe there are a few elephants that have been taking up way too much space in the room and now need to be kicked out. Well, here's some steps that you can take to make that happen. Number one, open up and name the elephant. You may find it hard to talk about a matter that's involved with your pain or fear, and that's okay, I get that. Many hard conversations, though, start with awkward openings. Uh, The key thing is to keep in mind that admitting that there's an elephant in the room is the first step to kicking it out. So how do you do it? That's probably the question that you're asking right now. I got you. Great question. Glad you asked. Well, if you're ready to talk, there are several ways to get the conversation started. Here's some examples. I've been having a hard time. Are you up for talking about how I've been feeling? Uh, If it's in person that's troubling you because it's overwhelming, how about trying an email a text or a call at least just to kick the conversation off? That separation may help you to feel more in control of the depth and the pace of the conversation. And if someone opens the door to a conversation where you're just not ready to have a conversation, it really is okay to say that you're not up for talking at that particular moment, but acknowledge the fact that, that it makes you feel better um, that they brought it to you and let them know that you're willing to listen to what they have to say, just not right now. The second option for you is to seek out an opener. Yeah, I call it an opener because some people are easier to talk to than others. Santita just happens to be one of my openers. These are people that make it easy to talk about anything you're facing. They make it easy because they have love, care, and compassion. There's no judgment, no condemnation when you bring your stuff to them. Look for somebody who loves asking questions. They feel comfortable with with strong emotions. And again, they listen to you without judgment. And don't be afraid to look outside your immediate circle for this particular individual. I've discovered that sometimes the best support comes from those who you're not necessarily the closest with. And third and finally, seek people with shared or similar experiences. If you don't feel ready to talk to friends or family or your close inner circle yet, or even the person that you may be having the issue with, consider reaching out to people who know about the elephant in the room. People who face the same challenge and can offer compassion. You know, like the person that they brought you in to train you, and then you ended up taking their job from them, and then they got fired shortly thereafter. You might want to have a conversation, because they know some stuff that you don't know and can prepare you for a situation that you're gonna soon find yourself in. If you don't know anyone who's faced what you're facing, consider a support group. They're easy to find. Everybody's got Google jump on there. Uh, they exist for virtually every type of hardship. And if you're not comfortable connecting with strangers, I get it. That's okay. You've got also the option of engaging with books or podcasts, or maybe even a YouTube video or TikTok that focus on the issue at hand. Trust me, somebody has been where you are or about to go or have been, they've got the have the t-shirt and the backpack to prove it. But sometimes, Just knowing that others have experienced the same hardship as you can really help us to feel less alone. Kicking the elephant out of the room doesn't mean that you have to share all of your feelings or make yourself vulnerable to people who don't make you feel supported. Even with those who make you feel heard, there may be days when you'd rather sit in comfortable silence, and guess what? That's okay. You can take it day by day or hour by hour. Opening the door to a hard conversation is often the most difficult step in this process. Once everyone has acknowledged that there is an elephant in the room, it becomes much easier to start coaxing it out the door. My encouragement to you, my challenge to you today is to go ahead and start the process of evicting that elephant out of your room.
2: Mr. Thurston, I want to thank you for that. Because, yes, you know, ma'am. I have been, uh, several of my friends have made their transitions lately. And sometimes, and so, it's happened so frequently. I'm just at a loss right now. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm just at a loss. When I was at Joshua Farrakhan's service on Saturday, I was at a loss. Like yeah. someone I've known a long time, and then I find out, you know, Denise uh, Lewis, Ramsey Lewis's daughter, who I lived next door to since I was a yep. child, she's passed just a couple of weeks ago. It's just like I'm at a loss. I mean, yeah. I'm like Bobby Frain, Don. What do I say to you, uh, Mustafa, Donna, BJ? What What do I? Say? I mean, what do I? I, I don't even know. Uh, yep. is know this is trauma you know, that
4: type of trauma.
2: Yeah, but you know what? I, I th- And I thank you for acknowledging that I really seek to not come from a place of judgment. I got that from my dad. Because, you know, my father, you can talk to him about anything, anything. in the world. Anything <laughs> yeah. in the world. Anything. I mean, there's a reason. I was talking with Ray Lewis Thornton. I said, there's a reason that you went to daddy first to tell him that you had AIDS. before yeah. you told anybody, you went to him. I said, it's because he doesn't come from a place of judgment. And she looked at me. She said, absolutely. Yep. I knew with him I would only find love. And he wouldn't even let her finish saying what, what she had. He said, whatever it is, I loved you then and I love you now. Mm-hmm. And he just hugged her. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you know, we all want acceptance, Pastor.
3: That's it. It's a basic human need. We want validation, affirmation, and acceptance.
2: Okay. And thank yeah. you for that. Thank you for that. Yes, I ma'am. Mean, and it is an elephant. There are elephants in the room. There are elephants. And guess what? You know, just deal with it and and get your help. Because, look, I have so many self-help books. honey. I can have a library. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because I'm like, you know, and then you go on YouTube and you find, oh, wow, that sounds yeah. like me. Killing Me yes. Softly with his song. Oh, my gosh. I felt all flushed with fever. Wait a minute. You singing about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's okay. Everybody's been through something, everybody. Nobody, right. as John Lennon said, gets out of this alive. That's Everybody's right. dealing with something. And if you all are waiting for Dr. Shanita Knight, and she'll be back next week, Dr. Uh, Reverend, uh, Reverend Thurston, she is teaching in Saudi Arabia this week. Wow. Amazing. So, that's right. All over the world people want her and guess what we get her every day here on the Santita Jackson show. Can you believe it? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's teaching over in Saudi Arabia uh dis- infection prevention. It is now becoming, it is now the new wave in health care. People want to know how to prevent infection. And like I said, it was very interesting what's happening in Gaza because these people are not allowed to bathe because there's no fuel, there's no electricity, they've been completely cut off. They're developing skin diseases and things like that. So as they're releasing the hostages, the Israeli hostages who've been kept in Gaza, uh, you know, they're saying, oh, my God, they were kept in, you know, such awful conditions. I said, no, 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 they're living like Gazans. Okay, so they can't bathe. their Their food, their they can only have bread. Their meals are being rationed to them because that's how Gazans are treated every day. It's got to stop. So when you think about that, because you got Palestinian prisoners and Israeli hostages, they're all they're all they're all prisoners and they're all hostages. Depending upon how you look at it, most of the Palestinians who've been released were never even charged. They've just been held in jail. Does that sound familiar? That's right. Okay. So it just stop. I'm not taking sides, everybody. I call balls and strikes. I want justice. And when you have justice, you don't have war. When you have justice, you have love. You have peace, not just quiet. So I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Anita? What's on your mind, sweetie? i got two minutes before we go to this break. Love you, sweetie. What's your, what's your question or comment? Well, I, I appreciate
4: that uh, elephant in the room, uh, Sherman. And um, we have lots of element, elephants right now. Nothing to see so solved. I guess mm-hmm. we've got all teenagers as adults now. Uh, but what I want to say is the Palestinians that was either injured in Vermont uh mm-hmm. I would not want to continue to see this happening here because then that war is now coming to our country. And I'm wondering, here. you know, I think more people need to be encouraged to come out and ask for the ceasefire because, like they said, this is genocide and it should not be coming to this country like that. And I'm very concerned about that because that happened where Bernie Sanders was. So, well, he you know, wait. if it happened there, it's... Yeah. mm yeah, 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 that's not good. That's
2: well, you not know what, you're same. making a great point, but you know, Congressman Jackson, your favorite, Jonathan Jackson, said, you know, the war already hit here, Anita and Pastor Thurston, because guess what? You have the six-year-old boy who was stabbed 16, 26 times, and his mother was stabbed multiple times. It's here. It's here. Right. This is- and it needs to stop. Gut and blood. Gut and, and blood push- is not a thing. That's right, and and push for the ceasefire, everybody. Push for it. You want it, but lobbying money is keeping our congresspersons from voting on it. And you need to take all this all this money out of our politics because we can't even talk talk to the things that really impact Americans, like poverty, like all these homeless people in Chicago, mig- migrants and citizens who are sitting up here in the cold. I want I want to have that discussion. If people want to if you want to live in a neighborhood and you don't get along with anybody and and you and and you just want to continue to war with everybody, well that's your business. I don't have time for that in the United States. Yeah, I said it. Mike drop on that. Stay right there, everybody. Call me at 773 763 9278 773 763 wcpt back with more of the Santita Jackson show.
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
0: of oh. love, Gotta save the children.
2: everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show, WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. You want to stay right here because we're going to give you the best reporting from the Democratic National Convention come next summer. It's going to be fantastic, everybody. But right now, let's talk about what's happening in the Middle East. Where else? What else? That is what everyone is talking about. Why? Because this... Local conflict has become a regional conflict, and many people are saying that it will be be a world conflict. And it certainly is, uh, would not be a conflict if America's dollars were not all up in it. Now, Netanyahu's chilling warning as uh, the... As one of the newspaper headlines is that as Hamas seeks a truce extension, Israel is going to hit Gaza with full force once this truce is over. So they're planning to use more force, more force, more force and fight across all of Gaza following this truce. What do you think about that? Their defense minister, Yoav Galat, said the same thing. He said, you now have a few days. We will return to fighting. We will use the same amount of power and more. We will fight in the entire Gaza Strip. Wow. What does that mean? You will meet something that is a little more ready. Therefore, Hamas will meet first the bombs of the Air Force, and after that, the shells of the tanks and the artillery, and the scoops of the D-9 bulldozers, and finally also gunfire of the infantry troops. As we're watching more and more, Hostages released and Palestinian prisoners. They're both hostages, and they're both prisoners if you want to, if you ask me. And when you're talking about the condition of the hostages held in Gaza, you know, many people are now remarking on their poor condition, that they were not able to bathe for seven weeks, that they have had very little food. Well, now they're living like Gazans live. Gazans have had a certain amount of calories apportioned to them by the Israeli government for years prior to October 7th. And with their infrastructure having been shut down, they're not able to bathe. And so now they have skin diseases. They are very sick now. And you have babies who are dying in the hospitals that are left, and they're dying for no reason at all. Women are having babies on the floor, C-sections, that they're being literally cut open without any anesthesia, without any painkillers. Oh y'all, we got to do better than this. And now you're saying, wait a minute. After this truce, where well, we've seen relative quiet, because the Gazans who've been going back to the to northern Gaza, at least a couple of them have been killed. They've been shot at by the IDF. They have not been allowed to go home, and that was their fear. That's why they didn't leave. They said, if I leave, you're not going to let me go back home. Well, they're not being able. They're not being allowed to go back home. It is really, really, really. Um, something awful. So we have got this tremendous panel. Dr. David Gibbs historian from the University of Arizona of course Bryce Green from Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting Dwight McKee, brilliant social scientist and the dean of the Maafa Redemption Project here in Chicago and Jonah Karsh, IDF but he's also a great pianist and I cannot wait to work with him uh, because that's what we need to do. Jonah what are your thoughts about this? I mean when you hear Israel say look we're going to hit Gaza with full force. And the defense minister said it's going to be even more uh, forceful, more violent, if you will, than before. I mean, I think we've all been heartened by this by this truth. You know, like maybe this will lead to something. I, it, what happened?
5: Yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me on uh, Santita and Santita. Uh, I would say that the movement I'm a part of, if not now, of, of young American Jews uh, who stand against Israel's apartheid system and are looking for a future of justice and equality for all Israelis and Palestinians, uh, are, we're taking the position that, uh, that, that the pause that we're seeing is good and that what we need is an end to the war to allow what we're seeing happening in the pause to continue. Um, I think there's just been a a, a, failure, a complete misanalysis of, of what got us to this point. We're hearing from some members of Congress that because Israel has pummeled Gaza, that uh, somehow that that led Hamas uh, to be willing to negotiate and gave the leverage necessary for the release of uh, all of the hostages that we've seen. When we have reporting that indicates that Prime Minister Netanyahu weeks ago Uh, before thousands and thousands of more innocent Palestinians died, had rejected uh, a similar deal uh, from Hamas to uh, release hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners. Um, So we believe that what got us here uh, was diplomacy and that what will end this war is diplomacy and that uh, continuing... Uh, to collectively punish the people of Gaza, deprive them of food and water, continuing what uh, one of uh, a U.N. official called the worst uh, humanitarian crisis he's ever seen, um, mm-hmm. is is not going to give Israel what it wants, but it's also just completely unconscionable and inhumane. Um, and that uh, both in order to bring the hostages home and to, to rebuild Gaza and move towards a future where Palestinians... Mm-hmm enjoy the same rights as everyone else, we need, to, we need to end the war.
2: Well, you know, and all wars end with a political resolution, right? I mean, it's, you don't shoot your way out of war, you negotiate your way out of it. You declare a ceasefire, and then, so I don't, I don't understand what this collective punishment, and more and more countries around the world, Jonah, are, are pointing at, uh, at as Israel as war criminals. I mean, they're, they're going to come out of this with a severely damaged reputation, as will the United States, Jonah. At least that's my estimation.
5: Yeah, I I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, we're hearing that State Department officials have been warning of exactly this. But uh, I think at the top of the administration, there's an attitude uh, based maybe on President Biden's personal history with Israel, which Look, people in the Jewish community, people in, if not now, myself included, have, have personal history with the people of Israel too, and we care a lot about their safety. Um, but but the conclusion that they seem to have drawn is that uh, we need to publicly support Israel as much as possible, and maybe make uh, some objections clear on the margins privately. That that strategy so far has yielded fifteen thousand. Uh, dead Palestinians, more children yeah. killed than uh, in the whole Ukraine war so far than in all uh, the annual average of global conflicts around the world of children killed it 's a complete humanitarian crisis, and of course the world uh, is going to say that that this is not what we 're talking about when we say Israel has a right to defend itself, this is not what we 're talking about. Uh, when, when we say that we don't want Hamas in power, we, we can't pit Israeli and Palestinian safety against each other.
2: Hmm. Call us at 773-763-9278 before I go to uh, the rest of the panel. I've got Reno calling. Reno, where are you calling from? Nevada? Just kidding. <laughs> how are you doing, Reno?
6: Did you call for Reno?
2: Yes, Reno, Hello. how are you?
6: Oh, good. Uh, you might remember me. I was standing on the, the stage after the town hall trying to talk to you. And I guess oh, you were just too tired. But uh, uh, I just have to say, if, if we had your voice and the voices of your guests across the nation, uh, we wouldn't have any problems anymore because you'd address everything with truth, with justice, with with something that will make all of the, we're going to say, the, the the uh, disagreements uh, understood and go away. Uh, there would be no fascism, no Trump, no imperialism. I'm serious. I'm not joking. Uh, what the, you know, we have uh, no liberal media in this country. We're basically covered with uh, right-wing uh, coverage. Uh, they have the entire the, the book, What Liberal Media, tells you we're not even a voice anymore um the the uh the thing we have to do is get your voice across the country because just like you say with knowledge is power and knowledge brings justice it doesn't bring war you know we uh, your song change the world is so on target <laughs> you know that's what you're trying to do and you would do it if you were out there uh well, Tom hartman has something there.
2: You know we're out there. You know what? Just we're out there. Just go on and continue to spread the show because we're right where God oh, wants well, to be. Yeah, in, and, we, and we we'll
6: really got to get you, uh, get Congress to put you on the nail here. Seriously. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I've got much more to say, but I know you're busy going on. Thank you for, for taking my call.
2: No, no, you're so sweet, Reno. Reno, just like and share the show. And I love you, Reno. This is so sweet. Um, And everybody, just continue to like and share the show. That is is what we will do. It's very interesting. My algorithms have gotten messed up, particularly Bryce Green, since I've been uh, taking these positions. You know, now uh, Facebook says that my show is going to be on one hour or two hours later than it. Actually is. I mean, just all these crazy things are happening. Everybody like and share the show and just continue. Let's just let's continue to move forward. Bryce Green, what are your thoughts?
1: Right. Well, it's like you say, the Israeli military establishment is pretty much promising that no matter what happens with the ceasefire, which we do hope will continue. But they're saying no matter what happens, uh, they're planning continuing their military campaign of wiping out Gaza. And we know what their plans are, and we've really known for decades and decades what their plans are. They say it, and they they talk openly about how they wish Gaza would sink into the sea. Uh, They talk openly about how they despise the Palestinians, how they want Gaza to go away. Uh, And this uh, war has really been a pretext to carry out some of these longstanding ethnic cleansing plans. Uh, I'm sure your listeners might recall the leaked document from the Israeli Ministry of Intelligence uh, that... Uh, offered as a suggestion that the Palestinians, instead of staying in Gaza, uh, they leave, quote unquote, voluntarily into the Sinai Desert, you know, in Egypt. Uh, and this plan said that this was preferable to other options for dealing with the situation in Gaza, the uh, you know, the the solution in Gaza, uh, because it would result in the fewest civilian casualties. Now, listen closely to what that means. It basically means that. They want the Palestinians to leave, and if they don't leave, they're going to kill them. Uh, that's barbaric, honestly. And we're seeing that barbarity in action. Uh, that Joe Biden was worried that a ceasefire would uh, allow journalists to go into the Gaza Strip and document some of the destruction. Uh, this was reported in Politico, this worry was. Mm-hmm. Uh, But, you know, that's a correct worry, because now we're seeing some horrifying images of the destruction of northern Gaza and even southern Gaza, the so-called safe zone. Uh, There's really nothing left of northern Gaza. Uh, Well over 60 percent of the buildings have been destroyed or damaged. Uh, The uh, medical facilities have been stormed and occupied by uh, uh, Israeli occupation forces. There's really no words to describe it. And uh, like your last guest said uh, from If Not Now, the U.N. is saying that this is a, quote, graveyard for children. And if you look at the numbers, it's, it's just astounding. They're killing children at a faster rate than any conflict in modern history. Uh, I mean, there's a, on average 130 children dying a day uh, as a result of Israelis' bombardment campaign. And even during the ceasefire, the carnage still continues. Uh, as uh, many human rights organizations have reported, the advent of disease is extremely uh, is extremely prevalent in the in the Strip, where they've bombed the sewage treatment plants. There is no clean water, uh, and of course, those conditions will foster uh, really a, a the epidemic conditions. And what's even more barbaric is that some Israeli officials have said that this actually benefits what Israel wants to do in Gaza. The fact that there is, you know, disease and uh, death, uh, that that helps Israel. And and so, again, we know what Israel's plans are. We know what they want to do. Uh, All that remains is for the U.S. to decide how it's going to respond. And now this ceasefire has caused a narrative of Biden sort of being a peacemaker. People are saying, like, why are you criticizing Biden in public? Behind the scenes, he's helping to broker the ceasefire. Of course, this is nonsense. Uh, everyone with a brain understands that Biden has a tremendous leverage over what Israel does uh, by virtue of being the country that pays the bills. Uh, you know, a sizable chunk of Israel's military budget is provided by the United States. We just... Uh, our reaction to Israelis' murder of children by the thousand, uh, destruction of an entire civilian population, and the displacement of 1.7 million people, uh, Biden's reaction hasn't been to chastise Israel. It hasn't been to try to moderate their behavior. Instead, it's been to completely support it. They've res- removed restrictions on stockpile transfers from American military to Israel. Uh, they've proposed billions and billions more in military aid that would. Uh, go toward, we know exactly where that money's going, it's going towards dropping more bombs, it's going towards uh, killing more children, storming more hospitals, uh, creating a crisis situation, and eventually ethnic cleansing. Biden's response to this crisis has been to increase support and refuse to criticize. And therefore he's complicit, and in fact an active participant in everything that's going on there. And so this narrative of him as a peacemaker is completely false. He's enabling the Israel's campaign of ethnic cleansing, and uh, until until there's a shift in American policy, uh, Israel's campaign can continue
2: hmm. Dr. Gibbs, your thoughts what is this? I mean, we see the i d f are shooting at the feet of the people who are trying to leave northern Gaza, the people who are trying to return home to northern Gaza. They're being uh, they're being shot and some of them have been killed. And now with this truth that people said, well, maybe there's there will be some movement. Um, Well, Israel has said, no, uh, we're going to now once this is over, we're going to pound Gaza like never before. I mean, we're not even speaking of what's happening to uh, the Palestinians on the West Bank. The settlers have declared open season on them. What is going on?
7: Well, there's always been a a faction in the Israeli establishment that has grown more powerful that has basically wanted to ethnically cleanse the Palestinians from Gaza and sort of incorporate that into greater Israel. Uh, The West Bank as well is seen in that light. And, um, you know, the current government we have under Netanyahu is is one of the most extreme nationalist government Israel has ever had, Um, you know, led by people who are, uh, some people openly, very publicly, uh, anti-Arab racists, and say so very proudly. I think, in particular, Bitemar Ben um, you know, who for a long time idolized um, a man who um, went in and massacred 29 Palestinians in a um, in the West Bank. Um, these are the people making policy to some extent. Uh, they're often very sort of religious fanatics. Netanyahu himself is not religious, but certainly his his government is religious in the worst way, I would say. It really has to be said in the worst way. These are sort of um, you know, anti-Arab racists, a lot of them, as I've said. And uh, so I think they view what happened on October 7th both as a, uh, you know, obviously a terrible thing, which, of course, it was, to be avenged. But more than vengeance, I think they saw it as an opportunity to implement, uh, with ju- quote-unquote justification, the ethnic cleansing of Palestinian territories, beginning with Gaza, possibly even extending also to the West Bank. Um, and there's definitely some element of this uh, in what Israel is doing, or at least trying to do. And uh, I'm sure the Israeli uh, government is debating right now, the Israeli military is debating right now, how far do they want to go in this? How far do they want to go uh, in trying to push the Palestinians out of the West Bank? Um, and um, how far is the United States willing to go in allowing this to happen, or in even abetting it. Um, That's the key question. I think from the American standpoint, they've always regarded Israel as America's unsinkable aircraft carrier, an extension of American power in the Middle East, um, an outpost for the U.S. uh, overseas presence. And so I think that that's a big motive here is preserving that unsinkable aircraft carrier and encouraging it. Uh, You know, of course, there's the Israel lobby, both in terms of its Jewish and evangelical components, but I think an even bigger factor is just the sense that um, the United States wants to preserve itself as the sort of massive um, global, globally dominant power, and Israel is seen as an important component in that. Uh, hence, the extraordinary degree of U.S. support for Israel, including, you know, as has been noted, some really quite horrific uh, military undertakings with devastating consequences for innocent people, uh, including maybe especially including children.
2: Dwight McKee, your
8: thoughts? Well, this is what we've always said it was from day one, was a pretext for genocide. And if this was Germany or Iran or Iraq doing this, we would call this for what what it is. It's a terrorist state whose single goal it is is to eradicate the existing population So it itself can take over the whole land. And it does not matter how many children they kill. It does not matter what the the, um, terms of peace can be laid out. The goal is not peace. The goal is not equity. The goal is total domination. It is the total eradication of people there to take over the land and turn it into a a Jewish state this is not just politics this is not just militarism this is also religion Zionists want their own state with nobody but, but Zionists living there and because they feel like God has promised them that promised them this that the um people that are living there the palestinians are in the way of god's plan, and they have a mandate from god to eradicate them to kill them to drive them out by any means necessary and the tragedy of america is that we are the, the, the the tools by which this is happening biden is a war criminal at the same level as any other war criminal that we've looked at historically. He is co-signing genocide. You can call it what you want to call it, but this guy is doing the same thing that Nazi Germany did, that Iran did to some of their people, that, that pop did. He's at that level of co-signing the 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 killing of innocents for political reasons and so if people of good will don't stand up and tell the truth and fight then what we'll see is an extension of the same mentality that happened in world war 1 and world war 2 where if if you hadn't put a check in balance on hitler he would have dominated the world if he could, and and because the morality was not in-house. There's no morality. There's no humanity in these people. The only check and balance on them is going to be us.
2: Dr. David, before you have to go and, and, and deal with your academic work, I mean, I've got a couple of minutes before before we go. I mean what right. is um, going wh- on here? What is this? I mean, because you're uh, you know, give, you, know, oh, you know. only going to have a political solution to end a war. You don't shoot your way out of a war. You negotiate your way out of one. And um, for them to come off of this truce and say, okay, gotcha, this will be great, but what we're going to do is show, we're going to give a show of force like never before. What What are they thinking? I mean, because I'm also looking at how they're being condemned by countries all over the world. Dr. Gibbs, two minutes for you.
7: Well, I think that the, um, again, the, the point I want to come back to again is the role of the United States. Now, we've had many, much discussion here of what the political solution should be. Uh, I myself still favor the idea of a two-state solution, although people have credibly came up, come up with the idea of a one-state solution, sort of a, just a democratic, uh, non-ethnic, non-religious Israel-Palestine for, for both Israel, Israel, Jews and uh, Arabs to exist. Either way, whatever is done in terms of the local situation, the key point for us as American citizens is what should our country's policy be. And we are playing a decisive role, as has been noted by multiple people here, enabling this by our subsidizing over a period of many decades of the Israeli military uh, if we're not for American subsidies, American political backing, the sending of aircraft carrier task forces to the Eastern Mediterranean, all of these things, Israel would not be able to be engaging in these kinds of highly aggressive activities. Israel would be forced to seek some kind of political settlement. Um, and it's only the United States that enables this kind of brutality, this kind of aggression. And so I think that before we start discussing even what Israel and the Palestinians should do, I think we as Americans should discuss what our country is doing and should be doing and what our role is in the horrific situation going on in Gaza.
2: In about 30 seconds, what do you think it ought to be?
7: Oh, um, personally, I think cutting off Israeli subsidies and declaring that the United States favors political settlement here. And however a political settlement is, is achieved, it will be achieved without American subsidies for Israel, and without continuing American political support for Israeli war-making activities. Without, you know, the United States is going to treat Israel like another country, um, and uh, to stop enabling Israel um, to engaging in these kinds of militaristic activities. That, that's a, okay if, if somebody wants a. My opinion is what American foreign policy should be. That's what American foreign policy should be.
0: Mm.
2: what do you think call us at 773-763-9278 dynamo dave and and david from san francisco have called in with their ideas what are yours do we need more war or do we need peace jonah karsh uh, dr david gibbs is going to go on and grade some papers make some people very happy make some other people miserable go on dr david gibbs and dwight mckee and of course bryce green stay right here with more of the santita jackson show in just a few minutes
1: This is the Santita Jackson Show.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. It is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. Can you believe it's less than a month before Christmas? Perhaps the spirit of Christmas will settle on the Middle East and we'll have peace. That is certainly something that we're going to pray for, but you're going to have to work for it, everybody. You're going to have to vote about it. You're going to have to march about it and make it happen because so much of what's happening over there is really can, is influenced by Americans because it's our money. Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763. WCPT. And I am coming to you from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. Keep it locked right here. If you want the best news coming out of the Democratic National Convention, it's right here. We're going to be we're going to be all over it come next summer when the Democrats land in Chicago. In fact, they're already here planning for the convention. So good on you, everybody. We're going to have John Nichols at the bottom of the hour talking about the big wins For the UAW, for the union movement. Yeah, but right now we're talking about Israel and Hamas and Israel saying, well, we're going to use more force and fight across all of Gaza following this truce. After we get some of these hostages back, it is on and cracking. What do you think about that? Call me at 773-763-9278. 773-763-WCPT. And you can go to the Santita Jackson uh, dot com. That's right. I'm up and ro- working, everybody. Ooh, my website. Let me know what you think. Santita dot com. Let's get to some of these headlines, everybody. Israel and Hamas agreed to extend the pause in fighting by two days. This pause, which went into effect on Friday, would have expired today without yesterday's agreement, and it could be extended even further. A man pleaded not guilty to shooting students of Palestinian descent in Vermont. Indeed, they're Palestinian-Americans, three of them. And they are all uh, in intensive care, but uh, they are doing better. But they have, he has been charged with second-degree murder. James Eaton, 48. James Eaton, 48. You should... Don't. He's not just a man. He is someone who tried to kill these three Palestinian students. James Eaton, 48 years of age. President Biden will attend attend the tribute service for First Lady Rosalind Carter, who made her transition just a few days ago. She and President Carter married. uh, Well, he's my goodness. They're the longest married uh, presidential couple in history. I think it's 79, 79 years, 77 years. God bless them. God bless them. Everybody will be there. All of our living first ladies will be there. President Biden, Vice President Harris. and God bless her. And as will President Jimmy Carter. God bless him, everybody. New Zealand is abandoning their plan to ban smoking. And scientists have discovered a new type of stem cell in the spine. Hmm, in Chicago, well, we're going to, it's going to be cold today, everybody. I don't know what else to tell you. It is going to have, we're going to have a high of 26 degrees. It'll be sunny. It looks beautiful, but it is freezing. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 32 degrees and cloudy. If you see some homeless people, people just standing outside who have no place to go, direct them to a fire station, direct them to a library, direct them to a police station. No one should be cold. No one. No one, no one. Please direct them so that they can be inside and and get to these warming stations so that they do not freeze to death. In the NFL, the Bears 12, the Vikings 10. Some people called it a dud, but I'll take the win, everybody. In the NBA, the Bulls will be playing Boston, and the Thunder will be playing the Timberwolves, and in the NHL, Chicago, and the Wild will be playing tonight. Everybody... If you're looking to purchase a home, now many people are saying, I can't purchase a home. I can't pull together this 20% that I need to put down to just start the process. I don't have good credit. Well, Team Hogberg has an answer for you. Number one, they have a credit card. You load it up and you work with them for a few months and you begin to raise your credit score so that you can be eligible for a loan. But also they have a program. That will allow you to put 1% down with no private mortgage insurance, and you can get home. But you got to call them at 855-56-DAVID, 855-56-DAVID. It might sound too good to be true. It's not. It's a program. You have to qualify for it, everybody. This is the biggest challenge facing so many people, putting down or pulling together this 20%. When you... With inflation being what it is and food costing what it costs, if you get sick, God help you. Well, guess what? They say, you know what? You need 1%. You need 1%. That's all you need. But you need to qualify for this program. So you need to call them at 855 david 855 david Team Hochberg. They have this program that's going to help listeners like you who qualify for this program to overcome this challenge of needing 20%. 20%. You only need 1%. That's right. Team Hogwarts wants to help you, your family, your friends, your children, everybody you know, everybody who's within the sound of my voice, uh, to get this, to get into this program so that you can be a homeowner. But you have to qualify for it. You need to call them and find out. Now, you can go to 56david.com. Go there. Go there. And you can read about it, but call them at 855 david 855 david and talk to them and let them know, just let them know what's going on with you. After you sit with them, they've heard it all. So don't be embarrassed by anything. You know, this is about taking the shame and the blame out of it so you can go on and get your piece of the American dream, everybody. If you're purchasing a home, do yourself a favor, call Team Hawkburg to see if you qualify for this new one percent down payment program with no private mortgage insurance. It is not too good to be true. It is a real legitimate program, and I want you to be a part of it if you can. Call Team Hawkburg now at 855-56 David 855-563-2843, 855-563-2843 855-563-2843 or go to five 56- David.com. I'm really, really keen on that program. Everybody, what about this truce? Well, we've been looking at it. It's been working for the most part. I mean, although the IDF have been shooting at the feet of Palestinians who've been trying to leave the north, and they have killed at least two Palestinians who've who've returned to the north because they wanted to see their homes. The reason they didn't leave was because they thought they would be displaced. (coughs) Excuse me. So... It turns out their greatest fears are upon them, as they see in the Bible. And so uh, we have got Dwight McKee, dean of the Maafa uh, uh, Redemption Project, brilliant social scientist. We've got Jonah Karsh from If Not Now, their political lead. And we've got attorney Mark Fancher, attorney Mark Fancher, brilliant uh, civil libertarian uh, author Uh, O'Piner, he writes some brilliant, brilliant uh, political analyses. Everybody can read them in Black uh, Commentator Report and so many other outlets. Let me start with you, Mark Fancher. What do you make of uh, the Israelis, Netanyahu, as well as their defense minister, who said their defense minister, uh, Yoav Gallant said... You now have a few days. We will return to fighting. We will use the same amount of power and more. We will fight in the entire strip. You will, need, you will meet something that is more ready. Therefore, Hamas will meet the first bombs of the Air Force, and after that, the shells of the tanks and the artillery and the scoops of the D-9 bulldozers. That's how they killed Rachel Corey. And finally, also gunfire in the infantry troops. Wow. What do you make of that?
9: Well, it it, it certainly, uh, in one sense, is is absolutely criminal. Uh, You know, what they have done and what they propose to do uh, will be war crimes, crimes against humanity, uh, crimes of genocide. Uh, And certainly, uh, by most standards, not including theirs, uh, it's immoral. Uh, But if we put those things aside, uh, what they're proposing to do is impractical. Even from their point of view, even when you start considering what their interests are, because what they are doing is they they have set out to, in their words, eliminate Hamas. But the more that they engage in this type of violence, uh, the more that it hits and strikes civilians and people who are non-combatants. Uh, the more that it targets. Uh, non-military targets, especially things like hospitals, educational institutions, uh, places of, of worship, and things like that, the more that it does that, uh, then it is not eliminating Hamas, it's making Hamas grow. Uh, because what you do is you have people to see the ferocity. Uh, you see, they begin to see the immorality and the amorality of the Israeli approach. And if they were not supporters of Hamas before, they will be now, uh, because they, the resistance is only natural. It's to be expected. And so, in, in the end, if Israel is truly committed to eliminating Hamas, to use their words, then what they will have to do is to eliminate the Palestinian population, uh, which is you know, something that they're already doing, which is genocide, but now it becomes the official policy. And, you know, how anyone can begin to even begin to accept that or understand it is is something that is mystifying. Uh, And there is a spillover effect. Uh, This is not just something that that the state of Israel, the Israeli government, is going to be tagged with. There are reports now uh, that throughout the Arab world in particular, uh, the face of this war is not necessarily the Israeli government or the Israeli Defense Forces, but it's Joe Biden. Uh, And he has been branded as the one who is ultimately responsible for all of the carnage and the violence. Because the thinking is that they would not be able to do all of this if the US did not supply them with the the heavy uh, military uh, weaponry uh, that they've provided them with, the artillery and the bombs and everything else. And so there has there has been and there continues to be a boycott against U.S. multinational corporations, which, you know, from a political perspective perspective, is a wonderful thing. Uh, But I think that uh, the U.S., those of us in the U.S., uh, have to be mindful of the fact that this is not a contained conflict. This is not something that's limited to the Palestinian region or to Gaza. Uh, This is something that's global in its implications.
2: And it will impact us wherever we go. We, of course, pray for Dr. Shanina Knight and her husband, who are over in Saudi Arabia. Travel. Um, Americans have been warned about traveling, Jonah Karsha. I mean, as, as I go to you and Dwight and the callers, I mean, we're not unaffected by this, Jonah. And, I, you know, and I'm wondering about this internal dialogue that you're having because you, you know, You were saying that if not now is a Jewish organization and, and, you know, and and certainly in the civil rights movement, we understand that because we've had black organizations because there's some internal dialogues that you need to have with with families. You can work a lot of things out because we all are products of our culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the internal dialogues that are that are occurring within the Jewish community, particularly within the Jewish American community? Or can you limit it to that?
5: Uh, I, I, think, I think the way that uh, Jewish Americans talk about Israel is, is certainly a really good place to start in, in thinking about this. Um, I, I, I think uh, what you, you hear from when you talk to the American Jewish community is that the overwhelming majority of American Jews uh, vote for Democrats, uh, are, are relatively liberal on, on most social issues. Um, and, and that some, and that many of them are not fans of Benjamin Netanyahu and view him as bad for Israel, but fundamentally what we're trying to help, uh, more and more American Jews understand. And we know that there's, there's a strong, strong contingent that already feel this way, but we want to continue this is, uh, that the history of Jewish trauma, uh, does not justify, uh, imposing that same sort of trauma, uh, and, and harm, uh, even if it's not equivalent in scope, uh, uh, is, is not okay to be imposed on another people as a means to keep us safe. Um, that, that, uh, Jews and Palestinians need to learn, uh, need to create a shared future of democracy and human rights. And that when you keep a people under your thumb, deprive them of basic human rights, and oppress them, maybe you can live in a glass house for a little bit. But October 7th showed us that that method does not keep Jews safe in the long run. So what we're trying to help American, uh, more American Jews realize is that we know there's so much fear in our community. We know that that's informed by intergenerational trauma and the history of our people. But we also know that the answer to that uh, cannot be the oppression of the Palestinian people, both because it's completely immoral, because it goes against the Jewish values that I think I was raised with. But I think I was taught by some of the very same people who are now turning around and supporting this war, but also because in the long run, it's not good for us. Uh, it doesn't keep us safe. It's-
2: well, you know, I'm, I'm not making excuses for people, but you do understand the impact of trauma, right? It's just very human. You know, it's very human for us to not want justice we want revenge you know if if someone's done something to me i want to do it back to you blah 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 how do we get out of that i mean how, how do you how do you talk people out of that jonah uh
5: what, what if not now talks about when we talk about the future that we want to see is uh a shared society where we understand that uh as long as israelis and palestinians and jews and palestinians are in that land, uh, together, that they need to create a future, uh, together. And that the only path forward to that is to end a system that systematically privileges Israeli Jews and is, uh, over everybody else, a system that Amnesty International and human rights have called apartheid. And, uh, we, the, the only way to break the cycles of trauma is to understand, uh, our future as intertwined with others to create uh, a scenario in which we have a politics of solidarity instead of insularity. Um, And uh, we think that's what we need in the long run. Hmm.
2: Uh, Dwight McKee, let me bring on a couple of these callers. Deborah, Deborah, you said you have a book for me to read? Yes, I do. Um, um, Shirley
4: Chisholm, The Good Fight, this is about um oh, yeah. her bringing up this issue a long time ago and it's mm-hmm. been yes and, and uh the good fight by Shirley Chisholm everybody should read it it was republished last year so um people go out and and and, and buy it and read it please thank
2: you Oh do you know what do you know did you know I found an autographed copy of that in in one of these old bookstores just like <gasps> One of my favorites. Oh, <laughs> oh my oh, God! I'm going to reread it. Starting
0: on, it at, page, <laughs> starting on, on page, page.
2: seventy-one. Yes. Are you okay? What's going
0: on
4: oh, with you? No, I don't. I don't think the whole world is okay. But yeah, please reread it, everybody. Well, no, no,
2: no! I don't want you to go yet. What's going on, Deborah? Uh, Miss Deborah, what's going on?
4: No, this. Uh, People need to know how to play in the same back, the the sandbox together. This mm-hmm. is kind of, this is crazy. This is this is um,
2: awful. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. I want you to be okay because yeah. you know this is part. Of, this is the human dilemma, right? This is what human exactly. beings do. And I think that if we what? can resolve this issue, then we can resolve all others because. It, you know, part of the I think our religious training, if you know, if that is your inclination, uh, is to help us to get away from vengeance. <laughs> you know, because that's such a human, you know, desire. Uh, uh it's you know, it's to move toward being compassionate and, and being redemptive. And most of us don't get it right. I'm, I'm not making excuses right. for anyone, but I don't. I don't want you to be. I don't want you to be. You know what? My parents no. say that tears. Uh, the tears and sweat are made of the same substance so what you need to do is get some people registered to vote make some phone calls march if yeah. you need to if you can and you do it that way yeah cuz i don't i don't want you i don't want you to walk away from this broadcast feeling i don't want you to feel despairing at all i want you to feel very hopeful okay
4: well uh, well uh, definitely i'm very hopeful i just think mother earth is going to uh, <laughs> uh, kick us humans off this uh, earth, but other other than that, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay, and I'm so glad for your program on the radio. Just like that fellow said earlier, yeah, you keep it up, and I'm going to let you go because I want to listen to what the others say.
2: Thank you. We love you, Miss Deborah. <laughs> Well, I love I you, too. All right. All <laughs> right, sweetie. Okay, God bless you. David from San Francisco. How are you doing, David?
10: Oh, good, uh, Senator. Yes, yeah, we I, You know, the uh, your guests are still on? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've got two minutes, though, before we go. Yeah, good. Well, you know, when your dad ran for president in 88, uh, he used a phrase that really worked well out in the cowboy country, and that was economic violence. Now, they've discovered oil underneath Gaza. Uh, USGS, the Geological Survey, uh, uh, the United Nations. Half a
2: trillion dollars of the gas and all of it. You're right.
10: right. So, in cowboy days, they used to drive people off the land if they discovered mineral rights underneath it. It was famous. So this is not unlike slam, you know, people in Gaza are on a reservation, same as out here in the West. Slam all the Indians into a reservation, Oops, they discover the oil, right? So it's it's nothing other than that. It's uh, merchants in the temple, let's say, in Israel, uh, who are pretending that their religion gives them the right to grab that oil. And it's, uh, you know, merchants in the temple, and they're controlling, uh, you know, the uh, uh, diplomacy of the day. And it's, yeah, the arms sales have got to stop. These guys are lying ponies. Let's see, uh, the um, I know something I wrote down. Oh, it's taxation without rep, without representation. These guys, uh, the Gaza people, you know, are slammed into a walled city. They're not given equal protection. They're not given equal justice. It's not a democracy in Israel. And Israel, uh, by slamming them into a walled city that they can control their food supply? I mean, that's so crazy. Uh, and, and the United Nations gave authorization for Israel to even exist. And one of the ugly truths that they never resolved is that Jerusalem was supposed to be an international city. It was not Mm -hmm. supposed to be part of Israel. It was supposed to be an international city because it was so important to all of the uh, religion. And it still is. yeah, But it's not for a real estate guy like Donald Trump and Jared Kushner to give uh, Jerusalem over to the merchants in the temple. They, they've turned, they've basically created international religious war because they turned that city not into an international city. And so, you know, you've got the merchants in the temple that have been used corporate desires to, uh, uh, to get tax dollars spent on their personal, uh, gain. And, you know, they have a war for personal gain, the oil, uh, the mineral rights. So, you know, again, these guys are, they're just abusing, they're saying it's a political issue, they're saying it's a religious mm-hmm. issue, when it's nothing more than a corporate, uh, a well, backstabbing you know corporate takeover. Yeah.
2: Before we get to John Nichols on the other side, I want everyone on the panel to respond to this. And, um, Stay right here. More of the Santita Jackson Show and SantitaJackson.com is up. So go on over there. Let me know what you think. Sending you so much love. Stay right here. More of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. We can change the world. Change the
0: world. Change the world. Uh, We can change the world. We can change the world. Change the
8: world. This
1: is the Santita Jackson Jackson Show.
2: Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 radio, the voice of progressive Minnesota. And, uh, of course, John Nichols is going to be talking with us about the UAW. And uh, this is a huge win for the union movement, but it's a huge win for... All American workers, whether you're in a union or not, but you need to get unionized, everybody. Strength in numbers, collective bargaining really does work. We're talking with Jonah Karsh of It If Not Now. He's their political lead, Dwight McKee, social scientist, Dr. D, affectionately known to us as that person, and, of course, Attorney Mark Fancher, brilliant civil libertarian and lawyer from the National Conference of Black Lawyers. Let me get Dan. Dan is a new caller who says that he has a different perspective on this Israel-Hamas conflict, and we welcome you to the show and welcome your perspective. What's on your
11: mind, Dan? Thank you, Santita. Um, Well, listen, I'm I'm a progressive, and I've been to Israel a couple times, and the only thing about this whole conflict, I feel that the, particularly the Arabs and the Palestinians, they, they misrepresent the history of this thing going all the way back to maybe 1878. But the truth of the matter is, you guys, and I think there should be, don't get me wrong, but there is not now and there never has been a nation called Palestine. In fact, uh, Israel purchased the land that they purchased uh, that, that became the state of Israel in 1948. Uh, they did not steal it from, from the Palestinians. Um, secondly, the vast majority of the people that claim to be Palestinians came to that area after 1948, and many after 1967. Most of them have roots in Syria, Lebanon, and in, uh, in uh, Jordan, and uh, believe me i think the situation could be handled much better by israel and other places but let's not they did not steal anything from them they took jerusalem in 1967 uh, after six nations tried to wipe israel out but it, it it was taken because they were attacked had they never been attacked they would have never taken jerusalem but, but that's my only point.
2: Thank you, guys. No, 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 don't leave because this has been a British colonial okay. project. People have actually already lived there. Right. I mean, but Dwight McKee, I right. know you. You are itching to get in, or John, who, Jonah, and
8: and, and Marcus. Well, they, wouldn't, and, okay. they wouldn't. Okay. They wouldn't Dwight. They wouldn't. They couldn't have gotten attacked if they weren't there. It's uh, just because you don't name something Palestine. There's not being There's not people living there. Just like United States wasn't named the United States, they had tr- indigenous tribes living all over the land, but they didn't have a, a title for the different lands or a geography. The different lands there were just people living there, you know, as people living in, in in different territories, and the Europeans came and wiped them out over time. Just took over the land. Uh, the same thing happened. With the Palestinians, they had been there, for, many of them families for 2,000 years. And and when the the uh, Zionists came in, they came in buying the land, and it started out that they were 1% of the population, and the people living there was 99%. And over time, they began to take or buy or bought or whatever you want to call it, more and more land, but it was at the behest of the British, who at that point were imperialists, who they took over the land and then decided to divide the land up and give it to to uh, the, the Israelis uh, at the expense of the Palestinians. The war that you're talking about in 1946, 1947, 1948. That was the people around the other the, the other uh communities reacting to this now domination of Europe, the europeans of the the, the british uh and reacting, trying to protect the people, the existing people in the land and because they lost the war, then became a pretext. They say, okay, then now this land belongs to us. And so when you say that the Palestinians never owned the land, they lived on the land. They never declared themselves Palestinians. The Romans named them that. But the fact of the matter is they've been living on the land for 2,000 years, as were Christians and some, some other Jewish people. It was really more of a homogeneous land. For those 2,000 years, then so to, uh, suddenly the Zionists decided the land is to be theirs and completely theirs, and they began to run the other people off of the land. Um, Mark, you wanted to
2: weigh in?
9: Yes. I mean, that, that, the whole concept of there not being people there or there not being a nation there is really a function of white supremacy. Uh, you know, in early international law, when uh, settler colonialism was in full effect, when so-called explorers were going around the world and claiming lands, they would find lands that were occupied by non-white people and they would brand them terra nullius, uh, which basically means nobody's land, uh, overlooking the fact that these were, that these were lands that uh, were occupied by advanced civilizations, as Dwight explained, uh, especially here in North America. Uh, especially in in southern and throughout Africa. Uh, And in Palestine as well, there were people who were living there, but who did not necessarily have the European concept of land ownership. That was certainly true in North America, where indigenous populations did not have a concept of owning the land. Uh, They thought Mother Earth was sacred and could not be owned. And so for anyone to say that because there was no state that was named Palestine betrays a white supremacist perspective, that unless you see the world as we see it, uh, then your view is of no consequence, and therefore we can take the land. You know, so, so I, I get it. I understand what the Zionist objective is, uh, because in a different way, I share it. The idea is that a people who have been excluded or discriminated against or oppressed will be safe only if they have a land of their own, only if they have a territory of their own. I'm a pan-Africanist, and I believe that about African people. I believe that until Africa is free, liberated, united, and socialist, and is, uh, in effect, probably the world's premier superpower, that African people globally will not really be protected But you can't compare that with Zionism. Uh, And the reason that you can't is because of one fundamental fact. And that is that whereas there are indigenous populations in the Americas, in Africa, uh, in in parts of Europe, uh, and in, in North America and elsewhere who are fighting to reclaim land that was taken from them, Zionists are people who took land. From people who were already there, they're settlers, they're colonizers, and they have no right, morally or otherwise, uh, to go in and to claim that this was land that was unoccupied and that they were that they were justified in quote unquote purchasing it and occupying it. The people who it was taken from by force resist, and they will continue to resist, and the state of Israel will never have peace until uh, there has been a, a justice for the people who were who are indigenous to that territory.
2: Jonah, do you have a closing thought? Just, whew, we we a lot of people have a lot of different opinions about all of this. Jonah?
5: Yeah, what's what's really hard about the about talking about this issue is that you have just completely different narratives and sometimes completely different uh sets of facts that people are are understanding to be true. Uh I think I think uh I, I, hear, I hear where the caller is coming from, and I, but I think uh, the perspective that he's sharing is maybe not uh, consistent with my understanding of the historical record, which is indeed that uh, in the early days, Zionists bought up land from absentee Palestinian landlords and then kicked Palestinians that were living on it but were not owners of the land off of it. And then in 1948, uh, uh, when, when the founding of the State of Israel happened, Uh, It is true that Arab states uh, rejected uh, the proposed partition plan that the uh, United Nations had put forward, but it's also true that in the Jewish part of the partition, there wasn't a sustainable Jewish majority. And you have documents of the prime minister of Israel, uh, David Ben-Gurion, saying, this is not sustainable, we need to get more land than that. And they started to, even before uh, the Declaration of Independence of the State, before Arabs declared war, In the aftermath of that, they started uh, laying out military plans and carrying out uh, forced expulsions of Palestinian villages. Um, And so uh, certainly there are times when when Israel has faced attacks from from outside forces, but I think uh, the preponderance uh, of the evidence does indicate for sure that that there's been a lot of dispossession and displacement and, and land theft of Palestinians. But in our community, sometimes uh, people are, are taught a different narrative about it. Um, we, we have a lot of uh, different narratives that go around, and I just want to wanna urge people to continue to, to follow the facts. One great documentary for understanding the founding of the state of Israel is called uh, 1948 Creation and Catastrophe, which really does a great job of both balancing the understanding of what Israel meant to the people for whom uh, they, they they achieved some measure of refuge because of it, but also for all the Palestinians who were dispossessed uh, and ethnically cleansed as a result of its creation.
2: And there you have it, folks. We will continue this discussion another day um, because I, I do want to make a pivot to something that's happening domestically and something that will resonate internationally, workers' rights. Um, but you all can stay right here because I would love to get uh, I'd love for Dwight and, and Mark, if you have time, and you, Jonah, because I, I only told Joe and I'd have him until 7.30 uh, to, you know, to comment further. But, uh, of course, generously, uh, John Nichols shares his time with us at this time all the time. We were going to talk about Gaza, too, but it's, it's like you can't get off that topic. Oh, my gosh, John. But we, ha- we have this huge, huge win by the UAW, and I don't want mm-hmm. it to go unnoticed, particularly given I know, look, having lived through the air traffic controller, the mass firing of the air traffic controllers in 1981, and the massive hit that labor has taken over the past 40, 50 years, uh, this was a huge win.
12: There's no question it was a huge win. And, you know, I think one of the things that's important in a moment like this is to not imagine that we have to put one story aside, take another story up, right? They all integrate. Mm. The, the fact of the matter is, that we have a world in which there are many liberation struggles, right? And they are, um, they, they take many forms. They uh, are part of many conflicts, right? And uh, they can be worked. They can be made into something that, that people understand is ugly and cruel. They can also be um, raised up into something that is noble and good. And, um, and, I only say that up front because as regards the labor movement, right, the labor movement was so down in America, so beaten down in America that just a dozen years ago, Scott Walker, the governor of Wisconsin, uh, literally came in and as his first initiative uh, took away uh, labor rights, took away the right to Uh, collectively bargain effectively for public employees, ultimately did a right to work law that undermined the rights of private sector employees, did all these things to knock down labor, and he wasn't alone. It was sweeping across the country. State after state after state was trying to, you know, literally uh, render labor, organized labor, a dysfunctional reality in America. And they were having a lot of success. The the level of labor union membership was going down rapidly in the public and in the private sectors. And, you know, there was all these folks, you know, obviously powerful folks, corporate-tied folks who were saying, well, you know, maybe the day of labor is gone. Maybe it was necessary in the 1930s, but it isn't necessary in the 2010s or the 2020s. Well, that was always a lie. That's the kind of lie that they tell, right? They They want you to think you don't have this option of coming together collectively to organize, to bargain, to make demands for a fairer workplace, for better pay. Now, if just for a say, not just in your workplace, but also in your society. Well, the fact is that labor has come back. It's come back huge. We now have uh, polling data that shows that two-thirds of Americans, 67%, 68%, are more favorable toward labor than, than toward management. Uh, we have polling that shows that when labor unions go on strike, 75% or more of Americans support those strikes. I mean, we have become a pro-labor country, and now we're starting to see the results of that. Uh, in the last year, we've had the better part of a million people, uh, or even the last few months, I should say, the better part of a million people come under new contracts that are dramatically better, raised pay, improved benefits, better working conditions, better say in their workplaces and their communities for members of the Teamsters or members of the United Auto Workers who just fought an incredibly bold and brave strike, Took the better part of two months, but they won. And it's important to say, they won. They won pay raises uh, that are bigger than what they got in, in pretty much the last 20 years of contracts for some workers. Uh, they also won you know, a real say in the future of an industry that is, that is rapidly transforming. And we're seeing it in other places, too, in SAG and AFTER, the, the actors and the writers winning contracts that allow them to take on the biggest technological challenges of our time. AI technology and making sure that it doesn't exploit them. And just over Thanksgiving, uh, over the last few days, we've seen Starbucks workers out on the street really waging a a bold struggle. We're seeing Amazon workers make demands around the world. And I list all this uh, to say that we're in a very exciting time. It's a very frustrating time. There are so many incredibly difficult things that weigh in us. Israel-Palestine at the top of that list. But also, uh, you know, ongoing economic inequality in America, ongoing racial inequality in America, all the challenges that we've had are still there. And then there's the climate crisis. And yet amidst all this, there is a story, an incredible story of people coming together and rising up in labor unions that has the potential to transform, I think, not just the workplace, but frankly, society in some very fundamentally good and better ways.
2: But why do you think that is happening, particularly when we hear and we see a lot of, uh, well, we certainly see a lot of differences of opinion. I'll put it that way in America. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they need to be divisions. I think that that's played up. I think that if we spiritually mature, we can say, no, I have a difference of opinion. And if we keep on talking, it might not be that different. Or I respect your opinion and we can keep it moving. How is it, because mm-hmm. I know people in unions have they come from all walks of life and all different they experiences. Sure they have a lot of, you have some Trumpers in there. You have some um, Obamaites in there. You have some people, I don't care about any of them in there. You have some of everybody in there, but they're able to come together on their fundamental rights as workers and how they, and and the and their right to prosperity. I mean, mm-hmm. How has how mm-hmm. that happened? And particularly now, John.
12: Well, I think it's pretty easy to explain, and I think you know the answer because you and I have talked about it, and also you're so wise on these things. Um, look, we were through; we've been through some incredibly tough realities of late. There's a longer-term reality that real pay for working-class people uh, has not risen uh, in any substantial way since the 1970s, right? We've, you know, as you adjust for inflation, working-class families have struggled. They've, they've got less and less, less opportunity, higher costs it's harder to buy a house, et cetera, et cetera. So people are seeing that this economy isn't working for them. Even when the economy is good, even when we're told, you know, the stock market is up, the economic indicators are good, all the things you hear on television, they look at their own lives and they say, you know, look, I don't have enough uh, to get beyond living paycheck to paycheck, right? And so there's that that long-term reality. But then there's what we went through recently with COVID, right? And the COVID moment, Kind of shook everything up. It did destabilize us. Uh, it, in many ways, uh, just as the Great Depression did, or as you know, many other jarring events in American history. You had a period of time, several years, where a tremendous number of Americans were uh, forced into a different circumstance. Some did lose their jobs. Others had to work harder on their jobs. Many millions had to risk their lives to show up for work. in um, uh, not just hospitals and healthcare facilities, but in, uh, stores and factories and other places. And many died, right? And I think people saw that they were not necessarily viewed as essential workers. They might have been called that, but at the end of the day, um, they were viewed as, as, you know, tools really, you know, they weren't treated well. And I think there was a recognition that coming out of COVID, that people needed to demand more. They needed to demand protection. Um, and that's that's different from demanding better pay. Protection is just basically the ability to, to be safe in your workplace. But as they made those demands, and as they recognized their power to make those demands, more and more people realized, hey, you know, we can start to address the fundamental economic injustices of our times uh, by organizing into unions. And where this has been most powerful is among young people. We now have polling that shows something like 88% of of younger Americans have a positive view of unions, right? They know Mm -hmm. that if they're going to have a place in this economy, in this rapidly changing, far more complex economy, if they're going to have a place in it, they can't do it on their own. They're going to have to have other workers with them.
2: I mean, what is it? Uh, What does a... Unionless economy workplace workplace, what does that look like? Mm-hmm.
12: Well, I mean it, it, it can be as good or as bad as the bosses, right? <laughs> you know if you've got mm. a very benevolent boss, it might be okay right and and, and we know those are we've seen those circumstances they can exist, but there's no guarantee of it and if you go back to history right in history. Uh, you'll see, you see a reference to good King Richard or bad King Richard, right? You know what I mean? Or you, mm-hmm. Some kings were good and some were bad. But the problem with that is there's always a king, right? There's always somebody um, who makes sure her not to be good, who makes sure her not to be bad, who has the ability to decide whether your life is good or bad, right? And and so the, the power of a union, the, the strength of a union is to say that, you know, if things aren't going well in a workplace, you don't have to, A, you know, beg for better conditions on your own, you know, going to the boss saying, please, you know, I can't afford my mortgage. I can't afford to put my kids through school. And two, the other alternative, leave, right? Try to find work someplace else. You know, if you like your work, if you're good at your work, if you're in a union, you can say, hey, um, this isn't right. This isn't good. And we can do better. And the interesting thing about it is industries that have unions, that have had unions over the long term, they may grudgingly admit it, but they admit that the union has made their industry more efficient, more, more stable, stronger in many ways. How so, because how so? workers, do, workers don't leave, right? They stay, mm-hmm. right? And, you, and I remember years, I've covered labor for, you know, since, I, since I, the days when I met your dad. Um, I've, I've been a labor writer and done a lot of other political writing as well. But I covered labor for a very, very long time. And I remember once uh, covering a, a strike in a, in a factory in Toledo, Ohio. And it was bought by a new company that was treating the workers very badly. And I talked to the, the guy who had used to own it, who everybody said was a good guy, right? And he said, oh, I love the union. The union was great. And we worked out ways for um, all the workers to bring in their ideas, to be you know, more creative and systems to reward them when they built up a company. Um, I didn't make this company myself. The workers and the union and I made this company. And so in, in a circumstance like that, you can actually have a very positive relationship. But all of that history was lost, right? It was lost because powerful interests, political interests wanted to weaken unions so that they, it wasn't just about the workplace, it was about our politics. They wanted to make sure that unions weren't a part of our politics because mm-hmm. unions are a counterbalance to multinational corporations. And that's the critical power that they have. And that power is rising. We should understand, we're gonna have a lot of fights going forward. This isn't gonna be easy, but we're going to finish this year. We're gonna look back and one of the greatest years for labor advancement in modern history. You know, maybe even since the 1930s with Franklin Roosevelt, and the key to such a moment is not to celebrate, uh, but to push forward, right? To make sure that next year is an even greater year.
2: Keep pushing, everybody! Keep pushing, everybody! 1981, maybe that wasn't the end, John. No. Perhaps that was a new beginning, right? Thirty. You seconds.
12: know, can I can actually if I if I can quickly say 1981, the the beating up, beating down of labor during the Reagan era gave birth to the jackson candidacy one of the reasons jesse jackson mm-hmm. exploded as a candidate in 1984 and even more so in 1988 was because there are a lot of working class people multiracial, racial multi-ethnic who knew that they were in the fight of their lives and they wanted a, they wanted somebody to fight for them at the highest levels of our politics and jesse jackson to a much greater extent than any other candidate articulated the need for that struggle
2: keep on pushing everybody there's work for us to do. The push is on. The job is up to you. Your latest book is what, John? You've got. Two uh, right, it's
12: okay to John. be angry about capitalism.
2: And then, big pharma. What's that? Big pharma. Oh yeah. Come on.
12: Oh, you can be. Look, you don't. You don't stop with your anger at capitalism, but uh, it's a. <laughs> it's an overarching reality that then allows you to fill in a lot of other blanks.
2: You got to come back on and talk about that because these yeah, yeah. these prescription drug prices are out of bounds this is crazy loving you John Nichols from the Nation magazine everybody go get that New York Times bestseller that he and Bernie Sanders wrote it is fantastic it's okay to be angry about capitalism